0: Chapter Two, Don't Slander Me. It wasn't the pounding headache or the all-too-familiar taste of blood in my mouth that woke me that morning, but the stink of cat piss. They all have cats, cats and bad tattoos and mops of dyed black hair that reek of cigarettes and watermelon bubblelicious. They all have ripped fishnets and dark red lips and daddy issues. What starts out as a seemingly innocent walk home from the bar turns into a seemingly innocent kiss in her foyer and quickly degenerates into a whirling dervish of teeth and hips and torn shirts and pulled hair. But you couldn't just let a young lady wander the mean streets of Capitol Hill unescorted, now could you? I surveyed my front teeth with the tip of my tongue to assess the damage. I got lucky this time. I tried to calculate the odds of sunlight before opening my eyes, but it was useless. As I lay in the darkness, a couple of questions came to mind. Where the fuck was I? How the fuck did I get here? The wretched idea of raising my head at that moment was overruled by the depth of my curiosity. I was on a mattress on the floor with my clothes and most of hers lying next to me. A single strand of blue Christmas lights lined the ceiling, and several defaced prayer candles were strategically placed around the bed. On her milk crate nightstand was a half-empty bottle of Bushmills, a spoon, two syringes, my wallet, and a Radio Shack alarm clock that read 5.30. Two more questions came to mind. A.M.? P.M.? The spoon and syringes told me nothing further. Heroin was my steadfast accomplice now. But the bottle told me this was Tuesday, Wednesday at the latest. My boss, you see, is ex-military. His men get paid every Monday. That way, be it Vietnam or the dirty bookstore, his grunts were always so broke by the weekend we could never put together enough cash to buy a plane ticket back to Indiana or Cleveland or wherever the fuck we came from. Furthermore, it curtailed many a barroom brawl and all but quashed impulsive AWOL episodes. I, Charlie Hyatt, was his midnight-to-eight man, a soldier on the front lines of filth. While I knew well enough that there was no such thing as leftover drugs, I did a quick recon of the area while my hostess lay face down in her pillow. I rifled through her purse and pocketed a wad of dollar bills. Experience told me she was either a cocktail waitress or a dancer, one or the other or both. Under black hair, over pale skin, and just above the sheet, I could make out the tattoo of an inverted cross between her shoulder blades. This may have revealed satanic alliances. It may have explained the defaced prayer candle configuration. It may have indicated that she was the type of woman who could get so fucked up she'd get tattooed upside down. No matter. This was my kind of girl. I lifted the arm that had been draped over me all night. It fell limp to the mattress. Her wrist was wrapped in a bandage, and my inquisitive nature could not resist the temptation. I carefully peeled back the medical tape. The bloody gauze stuck to her skin, but she still lay undisturbed. One last quick tear exposed the words, ''Help me'' carved deeply into her flesh. It might as well have just said, ''Your type.'' I was aroused. Wistfully, now I do recall the days when irony could give me an erection. I leaned in closer to examine the wound. I wanted to taste it, but stopped myself. Still, I saw no reason why a little medicinal hangover sex would be out of order. Hey, I whispered. I nudged her hard. Nothing. Honey? I saw a stack of mail on the small kitchen table, so I decided to try and put a name to this shapely mess inert on the mattress before me. There were a half-dozen bills, a wedding invitation, and a Victoria's Secret catalog all addressed to my maladjusted bachelorette number one. Returning to her side, I said sternly, Nicole! Then, softly and still to no avail, Nikki? I slipped on my jeans and negotiated my way through the din, a strange landscape of empty bottles and full ashtrays, and located the bathroom. I was startled when I switched on the bare bulb that hung above the grimy littered sink. The fluorescent glare, bright white walls, and the explosion of girly smells sucker-punched the throb in my skull. Looking into the mirror, I pushed back greasy, dark hair and focused on the mess I had become. Now, I couldn't be called classically good-looking, unless Alice Cooper was your idea of a classic, but I could muster a killer smile when the situation called for it. And if you were in the market for a creepy someone to bring home to scare the shit out of your parents, I was your man. This morning I had none of that charm, more closely resembling the aftermath of a car accident. I fingered my nostrils, which were thickly encrusted with dried blood, as were the corners of my mouth, my chin, neck, and collarbone. My heartbeat quickened. I could see the prone reflection of Nicole in the mirror. She hadn't moved. I listened for her to stir, snore, anything. I filled the sink with warm water and dunked my head in, holding my breath for as long as possible. Already formulating an escape plan, I stood up, dripping wet, and took the longest piss of my life. Oh, that was interesting. My pubic hair was matted with dried blood as well. I frantically searched my torso and scalp for lacerations or cuts. Nothing. I squeezed the bridge of my nose to check for trauma. Nada. An idea I'd later considered desperate took hold. I looked up at the mirror and slowly opened the palms of my hands. God damn it. No stigmata. Murderer it was then. Mosquitoes flitted around my empty stomach and my feet were frozen on the cold linoleum floor. Errant drops of pea flecked my toes as I stood there hoping for a generous meteor to fall from the sky and end this miserable course once and for all. I couldn't remember anything about last night or this woman, not her name nor her occupation, where she lived nor what kinds of bands she hated, which was, of course, always so much more important than which ones she liked. I briefly wondered how many other men right this second were standing half-naked in front of a mirror, considering the survival of their evening's companion. I wondered if they, like me, put their hands behind their backs and crossed them at the wrist to see what they would look like escorted to a squad car in handcuffs. Desperately, I scanned the bathroom for that small window through which the good guy always escapes. No dice. My mind fast-forwarded through the arrest, the headlines, her bereaved parents on a local TV news show, and straight to the dank 6x8 cell in which I would spend the rest of my days, praying for a visitor with a nail file baked into a cake to set me free. Perhaps they'd give me a corny nickname like the Capitol Hill Cannibal, and I would appear next to the campus killer Ted Bundy and Richard Ramirez the Night Stalker in criminology textbooks. Maybe the chief of police would seize the opportunity to blame a few unsolved murders on me. Maybe I would request sushi and a couple of Dick's Deluxe Burgers for my last meal, guaranteeing a nightmare situation for whoever had to clean up the gurney they would strap me to. I paced the five feet from the tub to the opposing wall and realized that being in a stranger's bathroom meant being near a stranger's medicine cabinet. God damn it. On the one hand, her being dead made this a horrible time to rummage for prescription meds. On the other hand, her being dead made her not one to stand on ceremony. I licked my lips in anticipation. Cracking open a stranger's medicine cabinet had been a thrill I hadn't passed up since I was a youngster. As a teenager in Phoenix, Arizona, I had organized a troop of Mexican 'er ne'er-do-well kids from the block to break into neighborhood homes during summer break. Miguel was 12 years old. As the elder of the crew, he was the artful dodger to my Fagan. He followed my directions precisely. Do not destroy the place. Do not disturb the valuables. And get in and out quickly. I wasn't interested in their TVs and jewelry. It was their pharmaceuticals I coveted. Miguel would return to my place alone and empty his pockets, and with my handy 1978 Physician's Desk Reference, I would sort out the good pills from the bad ones pay him a fraction of what they were worth, and send him on his merry way. In retrospect, it seemed like a recipe for disaster, but after a couple of summers, Miguel and company just stopped coming around. I imagine they found someone who paid better, or began to partake in their ill-gotten gains themselves. The shelves were in disarray, a massive collection of her half-empty lipstick tubes, powders, and potions. I found an empty prescription bottle. I squinted at the label. Perkadan. Why would she keep an empty prescription bottle? And why was this giving me such a feeling of deja vu? Had I already slept with this girl before? Had she already been robbed before I got there? I stuck my thumb in the coin pocket of my jeans. That explained it. Five yellow pills told me I had done my due diligence the night before. I popped the pills in my mouth and swallowed them with a handful of water from the sink. Then, from the corner of my eye, I saw my salvation. A reprieve as if called in by the governor himself. A fresh bloody tampon next to a couple of used bloody condoms in the trash can. I wiped the sweat off my forehead with the pink germ infested towel hanging from the shower curtain rod and used it to muffle my mirthless laughter. Clicking off the light, I tiptoed out of the bathroom and dressed quietly never taking my eyes off my new young lady friend. The wailing siren of an ambulance startled me as it roared past the apartment building. I leaned down to gather my wallet and rigs from the impromptu nightstand, cleaned the burn marks from the spoon, and made a clumsy attempt to wipe the fingerprints from the whiskey bottle with my T-shirt. I picked up a matchbook that had my name and phone number written on it and stuck it in my pocket. Standing up to leave, I heard a mysterious gurgling sound from the far corner of the room behind me. The gurgle segued into tiny laughter. I moved slowly toward the sound and lit a match to get a better look. First, I saw the mobile with circus animals and clowns, then the crib below. I hovered in a place where the scent of baby oil overpowered the stale cigarette smoke from the rest of the room. The child lay on its back, opening and closing its tiny hands as if they were new discoveries. I couldn't tell you how old the kid was, for I had never even held a baby in my arms. I assumed it was a boy from the blue blanket and just stared at this sinless, otherworldly being. For a minute, I couldn't even imagine how he got here. I wanted to lean in closer, but I was sure I would appear a monstrous gargoyle to the infant, and a screaming baby was right at the top of my list of the last things in the world I needed right then. I remained in the shadows. Was I staring at history doomed to repeat itself, or just an unfortunate client of the worst babysitter in the world? I wasn't about to stick around and find out.